All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Friday, September 2nd of 2022 thank you for tuning into the stream here today my name is jordan i'm the head coach here at SaberSim, and on office hours i answer questions from the SaberSim community about how to better build your dfs lineups uh, if you have questions you'd like me to answer on this stream here you can ask them in youtube chat you can also fire away at me in the office hours channel in slack uh, and if you happen to catch the recording of this show uh, or the podcast version of this show over our long Labor Day weekend here coming up, uh, and you have a question you would like to be answered on this show, you can email us, support at sabersim.com. Uh, I will get to it on the very next Office Hour show. We're closing in on football season here, uh, less than a week away now from the opening kickoff, so very excited. Uh, we will have a big suite of different NFL content coming at you over the next week and really probably even over the next two weeks. So stay tuned. Still figuring out what exactly is going to happen, uh, what day on our end, but uh, expect a stream next week with the models team talking about the NFL sim. Uh, expect some new videos on our YouTube channel about how to uh, build better NFL DFS lineups, how to beat NFL DFS. Um, and of course, normal office hours mixed in there, some opportunities for some in Q&A uh, about, you know, NFL strategy. We can talk baseball too, of course, if people uh, like myself are still grinding the baseball streets. Uh, maybe some surprise guests coming on here as well. So um, a lot to look forward to over the next week, but we do have 13 baseball games tonight. Uh, that The main event in the DFS here tonight. Um, so um, oh. let me know if you guys, uh, seems like, um, having maybe some internet issues here, which is uh, not a glitchy on the internet. So maybe something, I don't know. All right. I am hoping that this stabilized here. I apologize here. I had to do an emergency stream from home today. The internet is not great here. So we're trying to make it work. Um, but it looks like we've stabilized here. So looks like we're doing okay. All right. On my end, it now looks like we're live. It looks like we are all better. I apologize for the false start here. Uh, I'm not sure how much of my brief intro was communicated there uh, via the internet issues. Um, but uh, short version was, if you have questions you want me to answer, post them in YouTube chat. Uh, and we're going to have a lot of awesome NFL content coming at you next week. Um, so that is the summary there. Uh, don't want to repeat myself completely um, if, I, if I managed to get most of that across the first time. But it looks like we are okay. So uh, that's the good news. Let's go ahead. Let's not waste any time then. Let's start answering some questions because I'm a little nervous now uh, about the stability here. Um, so let's go ahead and just 
Uh, yeah, Fisty and Slack said Jordan's on the dial-up. Uh, you know, I'm not not far off from dial-up here uh, right now. So uh, we're going to make it work. We're going to make it work. We'll get through it. Let's go ahead. Let's get started. Um, first question uh, from Three Putts. And uh, I think this is a good one uh, to get started with here today. He said, um, how do we solve the problem of setting min exposures for pitchers at a position where increased sim precision still doesn't diversify much? Uh, we will now get two very low on pitchers paired up, and those minimum exposures are likely to be two weak and minus EV. Uh, the option I see is use filters and go through and lock players in lineups that you like, which is time consuming or with rolling with what Saverson recommends. Yeah, so let's get a build going here. Um, and this is definitely something um, that can come up and that you'll notice, especially I would say when you have slates that have large player pools. Um, if you are trying to get some exposure to players or teams or stacks that aren't showing up very much in your pool, right? Because there's going to be so few of those lineups, a lot of times those lineups are going to have lower saver score. A lot of times those lineups are going to be lineups that you might not otherwise want to play. Um, I know I often talk about the pool of lineups being um, viable, right? For a particular contest, um, generally all lineups from, from your pool um, are, are viable. And I think that's true in a very general sense. I think that's true as a general rule. Obviously, uh, that can't necessarily be true 100% of the time where literally every single lineup is just as good as the rest. So I'll show you kind of an example. You know, if we go in here and start looking at different pitchers, um, and let's just say hypothetically... Let me look over at the pool exposure. So let's say we want to get some exposure to Dustin May, right? Um, he is a, um, you know, he's 10-1, right? Um, not a great matchup, not a very good overall projection, but a very low on play. And maybe it's an opportunity that you think is a little bit of a leverage spot, right? Um, and we say that we want 25% exposure to Dustin May in this portfolio of lineups. We're, we're using every lineup in our pool that has Dustin May in it. Right. And then if we go and actually look at these lineups here, right, uh, the Sabre scores are going to be a little bit lower and it, it may not be that you're getting the best version of these particular lineups. Right. If you, you know, typically if you're taking a stand and you want to get some like leverage plays, some lower owned pitchers in your pool, I think, you know, the way I often think about that is I want them to be coming along with, you know, to me, that's probably like enough leverage. Right. So like I would probably want to see that my Dustin May lineups were paired with like maybe well projected or, or relatively chalky or other um, relatively chalky or other stacks or, or pitchers or something like that. Right. Like I don't necessarily need to make Dustin May get paired with Alex Cobb. Maybe like most of them should be with some better overall projected pitchers or some better overall projected hitters. So what I would recommend is if you, I would recommend using this pool exposure, right. And looking at this number, and kind of getting an idea of about how many lineups in your pool feature that particular player. And if it's if it's sub, you know, it really depends on how big your pool is. And it also depends on how many lineups you actually need to build. But when it starts getting down here, like sub, you know, two, three, four, even 5%, right? Um, that is when I would at least consider taking a different approach here, right? Like even if you wanted to get more, um, I don't know, Domingo Herman exposure, just as another hypothetical example, right? There's there's tr there's three times more lineups uh, with Herman than Dustin May in our pool, but it's still, you're only talking about 15 lineups of a pool of 500, right? Like 
another way of actually kind of thinking about this is the pool is almost saying like this, that we, at least based on the way the projections are set right now, that we don't think this is necessarily as much of a viable angle. So all of this to say, I think the best actual response, the best approach to resolve this is to make a change to the inputs themselves. And how I would go about doing this is by changing the team totals. So I would come over here because then you're going to get a correlated change, right? If you're higher on Dustin May than we are, right? Um, and you're, you think that he is deserving and being more than 1% of the lineups in your pool, I would actually come over here and maybe do a run adjustment to the team on the other side. And we can do this with Herman as well, just as a hypothetical. And what that should do is at least influence the player projections to give you a little bit more of that player in your pool, right? So we can go um, here and, you know, also take Tampa Bay down. I recommend starting generally with about a half run of an adjustment uh, or a half run decrease there. I think that works pretty good. And going from there. And then we can rebuild. And hopefully what this will do is it will give us more of both of those players in our pool. And it will give us better lineups and better versions of those players in our pool. Right? So um, we'll let this build here and see what it looks like. And let me know in chat if if uh, we have any more um, in and out with the the quality there. Um, I am I'm like fingers crossed here that we get through this this thing safely here today. Um, 90 percent of the time we're all good here, um, but occasionally we've had some issues. So okay, so now we can go ahead and look here again, and now. We're actually getting a little bit more Herman in our pool here. Um, are we getting into any to any um, Dustin May? We have 6% Dustin May, right? So now we have a little bit more. So if we then came in and said we want 25% in our pool, uh, it's going to do a better job of identifying stronger Dustin May lineups, right? See, now we hear, see him paired with um, Charlie Morton. Uh, in this case, Dean Kremer, who's a cheap option. I mean, the important thing to remember in this particular you know, on this particular slate is that May is actually expensive. So we generally have to pay him with cheaper, with, with um, probably more cheaper options, but we're getting better stacks as well. Like the quality of these lineups, these lineups are just going to have a higher saber score, right? So that's what I would recommend doing. And I do think just looking at this pool number is a good starting point of seeing like, you know, how viable does Saberson think this play is? I often come at that from the angle of saying, well, if, if you're not getting a lot of that player in your pool, maybe they're not a viable play. But obviously, there are ways to add value with projections, right? There's going to be situations where our model is a little bit off, um, and maybe there's a, a better play um, that we're not really accounting for there. In that case, I would then go and say, basically, you're, you're telling Saberson, no, I actually do think this player is actually a decent play. Bump up the projection. You'll get a better pool as a result of that. So good, good question. Uh, one, I don't think I've really covered in detail here before. So I think a good opportunity uh, to, to get things started there. So cool. Um, okay. So question here from JSJR. I, I'm going to answer this one quickly um, just because I think this is kind of a tricky question to answer. He said, when I'm looking at the hitters list, how's the best way to read their projections? I want to use Sabres and batter, batter data for prop betting. I, I, the short answer to this, and I know this isn't necessarily the answer that you want to hear is that we're we're really we're we're more optimized right now for the DFS side of things. Um, we had a prop betting calculator in the past, as well as some prop betting plans that were suited a little bit more for for betting. Um, 
at the moment, we're geared a little bit more on the DFS side of things. I think with pitchers and just in general props where you generally have a situation where the market, the book kind of wants even action on both sides, um, you can sometimes just find some value by looking at something like strikeouts and looking for a bet where you can get like, there are times where, especially early in the day, I find that the book has plus money on the side of a bet that we clearly favor, right? Like if this was, you know, probably like four or five hours ago. I don't know if you get this now. You might be able to find like Charlie Morton over six and a half strikeouts plus 115 somewhere. And even though we don't have a calculator to calculate that out, like the EV of that precisely, it's generally pretty likely that we favor that bet considering the plus money side implies that the book thinks that has less than a 50% chance of happening. And while this isn't a median projection, this is a mean projection. I think it's pretty likely that our Sims think that it is greater than a 50% chance of this number happening. So I think you can kind of do that with bets like strikeouts where it's just, it's it's something very easy. The problem when you get to hitters is like, if you're betting on home runs or, or doubles or things like that, a lot of times you're, it's, you're not getting even money, approximately even money odds. So it's harder to just see if something is a good bet, right? Like intuitively, uh, if somebody said, I'm giving you plus, um, I don't know, like, you can do some of this in your head, but if you're getting like plus 1400 on Paul Goldschmidt at home run, it's kind of hard to like quickly do that in your head. Plus with the VIG and figure out if that's actually a profitable bet or something like that. Uh, we also don't have total bases up here. I know that's a prop, uh, uh, a common hitters prop. So that's kind of the longer answer. I, I, I think the, the goal for us right now is to get, to build the best DFS products on the market. And then I think once we feel like we have that and we have more resources we can dedicate to the betting side of things, we will return to building some more betting tools and I will be able to give a little bit more advice on the prop betting side of things. But um, for now, my, my advice is frankly a little bit limited in that department because we're just not, we're not really targeting that. So, um, okay, cool. Manny says... Uh, catching up on some of the streams, I heard you saying new features for NFL, any ETAs, this being a long weekend, first chance to start reviewing, uh, researching and reviewing NFL. Uh, let's go, let's go fins. This is our year. Yeah. So we, we do have new, more features coming. I don't expect them to land prior to the kickoff of week one. Um, so, but a few things that we have been talking about, I think the big one is our new rules dashboard is kind of the way I'm calling it. Uh, it will basically be an overhaul to this section of the app where we have our stacking and our player groups. Um, and I, I, I think it basically gives you almost unlimited customization over the rules and groups that determine the way your lineups end up getting constructed. Um, so that's pretty exciting. I know for NFL in particular, there is generally people want a very high level of control over what kind of constructions they're getting in their lineup. So I, again, I don't think that's likely to happen week one or next week, but very early at the start of football season, we should have that out. So that's kind of the next big update there. Um, okay, cool. Uh, Gus had asked a similar question. So yes, um, obviously the sliders, the new slider settings went live, but stay tuned for the rules dashboard to go out. Um, and let's see here. Um, cool. Um, cool. Let's get another question pulled up here. Um, here's what we'll do. This is one from KG. Oops. 
And uh, KG said, it's me again. Uh, yesterday was a break-even day, which is truly a win in the DFS world, especially playing the profit plan. It is. It's important to remember that. Um, I was wondering today on stream, can you give us a navigational strategy on how you would approach tonight's slate from an ownership slash stack exposures type of way on FanDuel? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about the slate a little bit. Um, pull this up. So I'll kind of do a walkthrough. I haven't looked at the slate at all. So we'll do this kind of live. Um, apart from just that very first build that I did, I haven't really looked at this. So um, here's kind of like basically what I would say is my my blueprint for how I at least first start all of my, my MLB DFS process. So I'd want to get a little bit of an idea, get familiarized with the slate a little bit here. Um, so we'll start with the pitchers. Uh, and what I typically like to do is just get an idea of um, what the pitching projections kind of look like. And I actually like to look at it from a salary standpoint. So top to bottom salary um, and just kind of see how things are breaking out as well as ownership. So um, to me, first glance, it looks like we have like this very flat tier up at the top here um, with like all of kind of the higher priced arms up here, all similarly projected, except for the one exception of Charlie Morton, uh, who it also looks like we expect to gain a ton of ownership here. So like one mispricing, it kind of seems like, you know, all maybe similar tiers of pitchers, but one just elite matchup here. So Definitely think Charlie Morton will be the chalkier option on FanDuel here tonight. Um, and then kind of going down the list here, again, a pretty flat, I would say, mid-range tier overall. Um, basically, I'm looking for like big discrepancies in either ownership or projection as I'm going down the list. And it looks pretty flat until we get to, say, David Peterson, who looks like that will probably be the preferred cheaper option at pitcher, but I would say kind of looks like a two horse race here at pitcher on Fandle tonight um, with a significant amount of the ownership going to either Morton or Peterson. And then basically I would say anything else is relatively contrarian um, for the pitchers here uh, on the hitters. I'll typically scan through our team totals and just familiarize myself first with the team total. So Boston, uh, anything over five runs typically jumps out to me. So we have Boston, uh, New York standout, um, as pretty probably pretty popular options here tonight. And then no other teams above five runs on our Sims. Um, I assume Vegas is close behind here. So typically when I see situations like this, I think you kind of end up often getting a little bit of runaway chalk. Uh, so I would not be surprised to see Boston be quite a bit chalky. One thing we can check here um, is the uh, how Vegas has these games projected and see if there's any discrepancies there. Um, let's go ahead and quickly check. Um, Okay, so one thing here. So the Mets look like they're a little bit more, according to Vegas, part of that just second tier. I think the Cardinals might be a little bit chalkier than we project, but it does look like Boston is coming down. So something to maybe pay attention to throughout the day here is how far this total continues to come down. It's possible that by lock, the field is treating them a little bit more as just equivalent to some of these other top teams as far instead of being kind of a runaway uh, best stack. But either way, I expect they're likely going to be pretty chalky. Um, then I'll glance here and make sure that the ownership backs that up. Our ownership actually expects it to be pretty flat um, on this 13-game slate here tonight. Uh, I think it's likely that ownership does spread out a fair bit, but if this does end up being, if we do end up having one team that's kind of far projected over some of the other options out there, I think they'll actually be a little bit chalkier than that. Um, I think these numbers could all probably be, you know, plus another 5% or so there on the Boston bats. Um, so that's just the process I use to familiarize myself with the slate. I suppose the last thing that I should look at here is um, whether we'll take a quick look at Kevin Roth and just see if there's anything worth noting here. Um, 
So a little bit of some rain risk here in the Cardinals game. So something to note there. Um, but anyway, so now let's build some lineups. And we're, we're going to assume we're following the profit plan. So what I'm going to say is that we're building at least uh, 150 lineups, um, getting 150 unique lineups in play. I'm going to use the default settings here for a this kind of contest. I'm not really going to change anything else besides the pool size. Um, I typically do like to up this pool size to 1,500, especially if I'm playing more than 150. So let's let this build here. And then we'll talk about, I think, really what KG wanted me to focus on here is how am I managing my risk uh, and how am I maybe finding some leverage opportunities with my exposures in the post-build process. So uh, let's let this get built and uh, we'll go from there. Um, while this is building, um, let me see if there's any quicker questions I can answer. David said, are you doing the Minimax and Pooch Punk contest again this season? We are. Um, expect news about that no later than like very early next week. I think by Tuesday of next week, um, we'll get information out about that. Um, it will be one thing that I know for sure on that is it will be DraftKings only this year. Um, we won't be doing it for FanDuel contests. So it'll be DraftKings only, um, but we are going to be doing that again this year. So I know there's been a lot of excitement about that. People really enjoyed that last year. It is coming back. Um, uh, quickly too, as well, Dante said, Jordan, are the old sliders still viable in MLB? I've had a ton of success with them. I would say, yes, I think they're absolutely viable. I think it's unlikely like viable, meaning they're, they're probably not minus ED. I think with the correlation value and the ownership values turned up on the older versions, uh, I think what you're probably getting is just a higher variance build out of that. Right? You're probably still getting lineups are good, but since you're building lineups that are much more have and stand against ownership more, those lineups are probably optimized for a little bit more of like riskier outcomes, um, maybe even have a little bit higher mean ROI, but probably also have a little bit of a lower omega ratio. You are you're going to probably lose a little bit more before you win. But when you win, you might stand to win a little bit harder. So uh, if you like the old sliders, I wouldn't necessarily talk you out of them if you've had success there. Um, but just keep in mind that we tested every single combination of slider and we changed them for a reason. So yes, they're viable, uh, but they're probably no longer the best. Um, okay, so let's talk about this. So we have our build up now and let's kind of start breaking this down. So I'm going to start... I'm going to start again with batters um, because that actually kind of mimics the way my actual process works here. We're getting a ton of exposure to Boston, uh, very friendly with Boston, quite a bit of Mets as well. Um, again, 13 game slate ownership fade isn't very high, right? We don't have to do a ton uh, to get different from the field. You can see in this build, we're playing Morton. Uh, we're playing a Boston four stack. I think those components of the lineup are going to be pretty chalky, but a three stack of a low owned Orioles, the, the Yankees one off, right? It's easy to make this lineup. It's easy to balance this lineup out. So not super worried about very aggressively fading chalk here tonight above and beyond what ownership fade is already doing just because again, this is such a big slate right? Yesterday, four game slate, very different story than the way I'll approach a 13 game slate. But I do probably want to balance out my exposures quite a bit here. You can see our best overall hitter, Devers on the Red Sox, the best overall team on the slate really only shows up in these lineups 23% of the time. I don't feel like I want to be far over that on a player again, whose most common outcome is zero happens a quarter of the time and who I think is going to be chalkier than we expect. So I will probably cap my exposure here. Um, I think maybe 25% max exposure to any one bat feels pretty comfortable to me here. This is a personal question here of um, like how, how comfortable you are with this risk. But to me, that's a lot of exposure to a player that like 
I don't, I don't feel a need to get a ton of exposure over the top exposure there to, to Devers. So, um, I'll check that first. Then I'll go and check my stack types. Um, post following these new sliders here, I have been a lot more comfortable with playing some of these smaller stacks, even on large slates, something like a three, two, two. Uh, I think some of these stacks are a little bit underrated. You'll see as well, if you click into some of these stacks, maybe we'll click into some of these three threes. Um, a lot of times it allows you to get some like pretty creative, high upside builds that other people just won't get to, right? Um, Aguilar and uh, Arez, I don't know how to pronounce his name, have obvious upside, right? It's clear the way that this lineup makes sense. Um, similar here, right? Sean Murphy definitely has upside. He's had, He had an amazing August. Um, Tyler O'Neill in this game pending weather also clearly has some upside. Like it doesn't, I, my point here is I don't feel the need necessarily to put, to force four stacks all the time. Um, but I do, for me on a larger slate like this, want to at least get to a three stack. So I will X out a couple of these stack types here at the bottom that don't at least feature a three stack. In this case, we only had one. So I'm okay with that. Um, now let's go over here. And what I'm going to start looking at is let's do team stacks next. And again, I kind of just want to get an idea of the viability of different stacks, how things are looking. Um, and according to this build, Boston is far and away the best stack on the slate, right? That kind of correlates with what we saw with Vegas. That correlates with what we saw with our own Sims. Um, then... It kind of is a clear kind of drop off from here, right? Things are, I would say, relatively, relatively flat. Um, so what I think I will probably do is, again, I'm going to also cap my Boston stacks. And again, this is more of a risk tolerance thing. I just want to let myself, I'm fine with Boston being my most popular stack on a 13 game slate, um, but I'm going to cap that a little bit, match my pool exposure and give myself a chance to uh, get to some of these other teams here. Um, so, and then let's go ahead and look over at pitchers and see what we're seeing there. Um, a ton of Morton, a little bit of Peterson here. Um, if we look at the pool, um, Morton accounts for basically 33% of like what is viable lineups. And then we have a kind of Peterson and McCullers tier, and then everybody else is sub 5%, right? Um, so I think I'm okay playing quite a bit of, of Charlie Morton here because you're capturing a lot of the, just the pitcher equity on the slate. Um, but I do think Peterson and Lance McCullers are actually both pretty intriguing options here. Um, so what I might do is just make sure that I'm getting to a little bit of these guys as alternatives to Morton, right? Um, and I'm not going to worry. I'll, I'll play if, if there's a handful of lineups with Jeffrey Spring or Pavetta or these other guys getting into my builds. I'll, I'll play a couple of those lineups there as well. But um, I do want to get uh, to a little bit of exposure with some of these guys because I do think there's a little bit of a tier there and there is a big ownership drop off there. I feel like that is somewhat of a creative way to get unique tonight, especially on a slate where the my most popular stack might be the most popular stack. Um from there, that would probably be like kind of a good baseline point for me to start with. I'm like pretty comfortable with with how things are looking here just overall. I would probably go back through and iterate one more time um, and just double check. Iterating mean, meaning like going back through the exact steps I just took and making sure that nothing changed, right? We see some of these smaller stack types start to creep back in. Um, I'll double check my hitter exposure and make sure that nothing got out of whack there. Feel pretty good about that. Um, at this point if you wanted to kind of start testing viability, I think this would be a good baseline, right? This is like probably my framework. This is where I would like start with, with my lineup construction for this slate. Um, if I wanted to go one step further, I could start looking, you know, maybe I could do some additional research. Maybe I could find some additional interesting leverage spots, right? Um, 
you know, one thing I could do here is just kind of see and look for discrepancies um, in my stack pool exposure versus my stack exposure um, and see if I want to get to any of these, these teams here. Um, when a good, when like an overall good baseball team has a lot of stack pool exposure, but isn't showing up in my lineups a lot, sometimes that can be a little bit of a flag to me. Um, New York and the Dodgers both stand out in that regard here tonight, right? Like, so what I will sometimes check is like, what is the expected lineup for those teams? Like, do we have a good version of the lineup there? Um, that doesn't work very well. Um, and see, just like if I, if I kind of like the lineup, but the Yankees are pretty much back to like a full, the Yankees are pretty much back to, to full strength here. Um, and I think the Dodgers lineup looks pretty strong as well. Um, so those are typically teams that I would be comfortable, like maybe getting a little bit of additional exposure to there. Um, so maybe, let me find them again. Um, maybe again, just matching the pool exposure and just getting some, some teams that I feel like on a night to night basis, always have upside, maybe getting a little bit more of them into my pool. Um, if you did any of your own like research or in the form of a research build or something like that, or maybe you want to get some direct leverage, uh, on a team, right. Um, you know, I wouldn't talk anybody out of maybe potentially being interested in some Miami stacks here tonight. If we do have this like runaway chalk with Charlie Morton, how much Miami stack should I get? Well, we have 3% of them down at the bottom of our pool. Um, I think at least as a starting point, 3% Miami stacks um, are at least somewhat intriguing, right? Um, they actually like grade out as like not even like the worst stack on the slate, right? There's like clearly a little bit of upside there. So something like that, I think makes some sense, but that's kind of my foundation of how I would at least get this build started for tonight. So, and I don't always have an angle. Right. In fact, I would say the, the larger the slate gets, the less I have like a team or player specific angle that I want to target. Um, so this this build might just be kind of done. Like I might be happy to enter this at this point. So. Um, OK. Um, there was a follow-up question here, or maybe not a follow-up question, a question from Nipsey here. Um, let's see. I think it's similar to what we were just talking about. Hey, Jordan, since you since primarily you show examples of how you are able to mitigate risk and get greater diversity in your lineups, uh, can you walk through examples for players that you are willing to assume a greater amount of risk? Uh, for example, what would you do pre-build? How would you manipulate the sliders differently? Uh, and what would be done post-build? Thanks. Okay, this is a good question. So, this is a good one. So I am, so there's a couple things I do. So typically I, I look for reasons. Well, I don't actually don't, don't even know if that's the way I would actually describe it. So I'm typically willing to ex, it, um, accept additional risk, I guess is one way to look at it, or to just play more exposure to players, to good players, right? Uh, and to lower owned players, right? And some of this, I think, kind of requires a little bit of like sports specific knowledge here or like intuitive knowledge, but that's like basically kind of what I just did with the Dodgers and Yankees, right? Like I didn't really have any reason other than the fact that I know that the Dodgers lineup is night after night, a, a highly skilled lineup and the Yankees lineup night after night is a highly skilled lineup. And they are probably going to project 
pretty well, regardless of their matchup or, or park um, that I'm willing to play a little bit of them. Plus I, I know that they're going to be lower owned, right. Or even if you don't know, right. I can kind of just go like, look that up and see that, you know, Dodgers actually are a little bit higher owned. Yankees are like, you know, mostly sub 10% owned judge is always popular, but like mostly five or or 3% owned. So apart from just risk management, right. Apart from just like risk mitigation, what I'm doing to basically every player in the pool, adjusting, adjusting players to, to diversify there. I will sometimes what is what I ultimately end up doing to take stands is kind of apply a little bit of like sport knowledge or almost intuition and make some adjustments there. Um, you know, another way you can look at this is like, so let's go back to um, the pitchers here, right? And we can kind of ask ourselves, or we can kind of look at, trying to see if I can come up with an example. So you might look at this and be like, hmm, I'm trying to trying to come up with another example. It's not really great on the... the um, the pitchers as much. I, I'm also generally like if I can find a combination of a player that like projects pretty well in raw points, right? Even if actually, I guess this is a decent example, right? Like if you were looking to take a stand on a particular pitcher, right? I would probably be a little bit more interested in going out and finding some exposure to a guy like Louis Castillo, who is a expensive, right? You got to remember salary here is also a projection right? Salary is essentially the site's version of a projection. So this isn't, even though we don't have Luis Castillo uh, as highly as projected as somebody like Charlie Morton, um, and even though salaries can be inefficient, this is kind of a data point for you that the site has a, a stance on this player. I would probably be more willing to like get some additional exposure to a lower owned, higher salary player than a lower owned, lower salary player, right? Because I have at least like some additional reason to think that that player possesses some upside that isn't being captured in the Sims, right? Like, uh, you know, maybe you Darvish is a better example, right? Who's projected for one, one projected ownership, right? We have 5% you Darvish in our pool. He's 10, one, right? We could probably come down, you know, here and find, uh, you know, Domingo Herman back to Domingo Herman or Kyle Gibson or somebody like that, who is also 1% projected owned. Um, I would probably be more willing to take a stand or potentially like maybe get some exposure to a guy like this, who I think just has a little bit higher upside in general, because that is a more skilled player with an overall higher salary who just like has overall higher raw scoring upside. So that's kind of the two angles I look at it is like one or is the field almost as the field underestimating or, or even projection models underestimating just kind of the raw skill of this player, right? There's situations like that NFL coming up next week too. There are situations throughout the season where, you know, you'll end up, let's just like go look at NFL real quick where like a, because of the a perceived bad matchup, a superstar player is just not gaining any ownership, right? Um, you know, we don't have a lot of ownership projections out for week one. Um, we'll see how things kind of shake out, but again, often it ends up coming with a salary. If we end up like going into week one and Tyreek Hill is actually a decent example. Like if Tyreek Hill ends up coming in at like four or 5% ownership, just because there's going to be so many people getting exposure to these late games. Right. Um, and this game overall, I think isn't, you know, a primary target. I think the most popular games for week one are going to be 
the the three late games here, the Chiefs, Cardinals, Packers, Vikings, Raiders, Chargers, and then also the Eagles game. Um, I could see a situation where a guy like Tyreek Hill ends up coming in at like 5%. And even if our projections or, or any sites projections don't necessarily back him up being like an elite play, even relative to ownership, that is a guy sometimes I will be willing to take a little bit more risk on just because I know he has upside, right? He's clearly a talent and it just seems like we're missing out on, on talent there. So that's kind of a situation there. Um, DG has a perfect example of Taylor versus the bills, right? Where you just kind of end up with an elite superstar talent that is very low owned. And even if you look at the projections, the projections would probably argue like, Hey, maybe that's not the best play, but you know that the upside week after week is there. So, um, you know, other situations, so that, that's kind of like uh, the, the main one. Other situations is like, as the size of the slate gets really small, or even it, as you get to a one game showdown, I will start just taking stands purely because of ownership, right? Like that's kind of what was happening almost yesterday, where like when we were looking at this four game slate we had yesterday, which was, you know, this one. So we talked about this on stream a lot yesterday. Why did I pump up some exposure to Rockies, which obviously didn't pay out, and Orioles, which kind of did? Because the slate is so small, there is so much direct leverage you can get by fading these two chalky pitchers that I don't even need to know anything else other than I'm just going to basically take additional risk because you are getting sub 5% ownership on guys on a four-game slate. Like it is just, it is too low of a number. So... Those are kind of my main situations where I'm willing to to do that. And it, it's, it's, is there elite talent that is just getting overlooked or is maybe even under projected? And is there, especially on smaller size slates, is there like significant leverage opportunities based on ownership? But tough question to answer. Some of that is a little bit harder to um, like prescribe consistently and say like, you can always do this. You can reliably, when you see this exact situation, you take this action. Some of that is a little bit more of like a gut feeling. Um, you know, one thing that can kind of help add to that, that gut sense is I think our percentiles do do a pretty good job of picking that up. Um, let me see if I'm right about that before I just come out and say that. Um, yeah. So, okay. Like this is a decent example, right? So, so let's say you're like, Jordan, I don't have that, but I don't have that sense of intuition for myself, right? One thing that you can kind of do is like, if you look at some of the extreme percentiles, so the Dodgers, right? 95th percentile with a 4.4 implied run total against a good pitcher, right? There, These 95th percentiles are tw like basically all 20 plus, 21 plus besides the seven and eight Gavin Luxing and Chris Taylor. If we compare that to a just overall worse offense, like the Diamondbacks, who are projected for almost the exact same amount of team totals, right? Yeah, this, this is really only like a point difference. So maybe this doesn't demonstrate the point as well as I was wanting. Sometimes the percentiles can help you kind of build this intuition for yourself. Um, you know, what about Detroit? Um, yeah, that doesn't really demonstrate the point as well. I was trying as well as I was kind of trying to hope it would. Um, the, I guess in a general term, sometimes the 95th and even 99th percentile values can help you see a little bit past the average projection and see some more of the raw upside, right? Um, actually, maybe a better way of doing this would be to, instead of look at, look, looking at two teams that have the same total, is like if we look at the 95th percentile for the Dodgers, right? And then compare that to our best overall team on the slate in the, in the Red Sox, 
right? This is okay. So this is a better example. Like, yes, there's a little bit higher upside, especially at the top end for the Dodgers or for the Red Sox than there are for the Dodgers. But the 95th percentiles for the Red Sox are approximately similar to what they are for the Dodgers, right? 5.7 implied runs versus 4.4 implied runs. And if we just mix these two teams together and sort them, right? Obviously, you know, Boston, you know, two, three, four, five are the first highest 95th percentile bats, but they're only like a point higher at that percentile than most of these dot than a lot of these Dodgers, right? That's kind of the point I'm trying to make is like sometimes with these highly skilled teams, the average projections will obscure what is actually good upside there. Um, and that's a position I will, I will take a little bit more of a stand on. So, um, Okay. Um, Chuck says, um, hey, Jordan, will the new rules dashboard allow us to set min and max ownership percentages? I would like to eliminate any lineups uh, that are below 75% and above 125% for my main slate NFL lineups. Um, but it would be nice if I could automate this process. Um, I would have to ask. I'm not sure. So I think the rules are the rules are working more at like the player level. So they're more like, you know, if you have this player, you have to have this player. Or if you have this type of player, you have to have this type of player. Or if you have that player, you can't have this player, like that kind of stuff. We do want to add more like filtering here in the post build process, that kind of stuff in the future to like do stuff where you say like, you know, eliminate all lineups above this certain ownership or below that certain ownership. Um, another thing we've talked about doing is adding some of that information to the lineup. So when you can download it, you just automatically can see the ownership sum. Um, I, my gut is telling me, I don't think we're going to have that feature for this release, but it is something we want to do in the future. Um, the one thing to keep in mind there, be careful with those heuristics. I know there is a lot of articles out there that say that kind of stuff. Um, it's just a very... I feel like that's a very basic way of analyzing the strength of a lineup of like, I assume this probably came from some like 90% of bank lineups last year were between this ownership sum. Um, or even if they're looking at like top 100% or top 1% equity versus top overall lineup th construction, those those heuristics of like ownership, sum or lineup construction often just don't tell the entire story. Um, I think there are probably, I think that's probably a decent heuristic. I just, I don't know how much value it actually adds. Um, so just be, just to just proceed with caution there. Um, it also doesn't, it doesn't really handle slate discrepancies that well and, and differences on how the ownership falls on different slates, right? Like, we will inevitably have a slate this year where we have some min priced running back in just an absolute smash spot where his ownership projection is over 50%, right? That changes the context of a slate. And in when you're looking at like, we looked at all 18 weeks last year and analyzed the millimaker lineups, that will just be a data point in the mix as opposed to being a unique slate that you are trying to optimize for that particular week, right? So anyway... Those heuristics always make me nervous, so proceed with caution there. Um, but um, 
And Chuck said it, did, it came from an article analyzing top 100 line of sources of the field. I know exactly. I know exactly where it came, and I don't want to discredit it necessarily. I think I think those heuristics can be very helpful as just a as as a very baseline of like this is about where maybe kind of about where I should be on average, right? That's that's I guess really what it what it comes down to. Those are averages, right? That's that's what the, you're you're essentially looking at. Like on average, we found this, and there is a place for averages, but in a game where we are optimizing for an extremely thin outcome, a very high upside, thin margin outcome, averages can only take us so far, and they can sometimes be misleading, right? So, you know, you might. I don't know. For the same reason, player projections and and projected scores of lineups have help probably directionally put you in the right direction, right? With no other context, with zero other information. If I told you, hey, you can play a baseball lineup tonight that is projected for 160 points, or you can play a baseball lineup tonight that is projected for 140 points, right? You would almost certainly take the lineup that's projected for 160 points. I would too. Well, you have no other information. But that's not the actual ver- world we live in. In in reality, you would have you can have you can describe those lineups in in a, a ton of different ways. And we know just from looking at you know lineups that show up in our builds with SaberSim and actually incorporating ownership and correlation and things like that, that there probably are situations where you're actually willing to take the lower projected lineup, right? It's kind of like that. Like with no other information, if you told me I could play a lineup that has 100% ownership sum into the NFL MilliMaker or a lineup that has 15% ownership sum or 200% ownership sum, I would probably say, give me the one with 100% ownership sum. But given that in, in reality, we have more robust tools for dealing with ownership, especially within SaberSim, do you need to set a rule limiting out all of those lineups that aren't fitting into that box? Probably not, right? So anyway, um, but let's go ahead and see if I missed. Tigers had asked about college football. Um, talked about that. I know there's a lot of excitement about college football here. Um, it is it is on the future roadmap. It is a big data project. Um, there are literally hundreds of teams, thousands of players. Organizing the data for college football is a big task. And between getting tennis up, between doing the work we did this year on the baseball model, between doing the work we did this year on the NFL model, along with shipping all of the features that we did over this summer, it just wasn't something that fit in. So cautious optimism for next year. Um, I know it is very commonly requested. It seems to be a growing DFS sport. Um, We have the slates up in the app, and you can upload your own custom projections and use SaberSim to build your lineups if you would like to. So... um, Neil said, are we safe to reserve our entries in the DK Minimax or should we wait for the announcement next week? I only ask because I only plan on playing if it's for the Saverson Minimax contest. Um, yes. You, you, I would say you are safe to reserve there. Um, you probably still have plenty of time. I don't think you're going to end up in a situation where before even probably Friday of next week, that contest is even getting close to full, but it will be for the contest that the Saverson Max Challenge will be for the DraftKings NFL Sunday main slate, 50 cent mini max. Um, I know last year there were a couple times where somebody registered to the, for the Thursday to Monday or the Thursday night showdown uh, or, you know, a variety of different things. Um, it is, it is that contest 
it is so make sure you get to the right one um but also this is not the official announcement for that it, it, that is coming next week um but yeah so okay um yeah it did stuff did fill quicker last week or last year um week one is i i think those contests are probably just like supersized right like they're probably uh not going to let's see how big is the mini max is it the biggest contest in the lobby i bet it is right probably oh no the millie maker obviously oh the mini max is actually even smaller than the uh the one dollar 20 max this is a fun contest um i know we uh were we've downplayed effective entrance a little bit with our new contest selection framework i do still think on the extremes like on the extreme extremes um there's still a lot of value there like 300,000 basically 300,000 entrance with a 20 max right let's see I mean, it's hard to beat a, it's hard to beat out three hundred thousand other lineups, even if people just built them like randomly. Um, that's fifteen thousand entrants, like fifteen thousand unique people playing this to fill this out, right? I mean, there has to like this has to be like so soft. I mean, it's like just absurdly soft, right? I think I think one of the things with the way we used to think about effective entrants in a lot of our contest selection stuff is just we overvalued it at lower amounts. Right. Like, I, I think the difference between a hundred versus a thousand versus like even five thousand, a hundred, a hundred to five hundred to a thousand to like, you know, three thousand effective entrants probably was not too different. But when you're talking about 15,000 effective entrants, this is su such a soft contest. So is the mini max, even. But anyway, that's a, that's a, that's a rant. That's a, that's a tangent. Um, okay. Let me see if there's any other questions that came in here. Um, KG, I'm glad you enjoyed this one. Um, I'm glad this was a good stream here for you. Um, any other, I think we're all caught up on questions. Anything else? Any other questions here for me today? Before we, uh, start to get out of here, we, uh, the, the internet held strong over the past 45 ish minutes. So, um, good news there, but should be a fun slate here tonight. Um, was kind of fun to have the opportunity to to analyze this one, to do some practice builds on stream here today. Um, I guess we didn't really look at DraftKings too much. Um, but I imagine it's kind of a similar story. So, oh, I missed Francis's question. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Uh, Jordan, do you ever, do you ever edit exposures for your full stacks? Uh, I noticed when my overall stack exposures are pretty diverse, I can still sometimes be heavily overweight to a team with my four and five stacks. So, Really good question. Um, let's go back to our FanDuel build. So one thing that I think is an important part of really building an NFL or building a DFS process, but also with using SaberSim is I do think you have to decide where up to what point are you, are you, do you want to have control and where are you comfortable giving up control and allowing the more automated parts of your process or the model to make some decisions for you. Um, for me, for example, if I come in here and say that I want to get additional exposure to the Dodgers and Yankees, I am comfortable that B 
being the extent to which I want control over that. In other words, I don't feel like I need to say that that needs to be four and five stacks at the Yankees, right? I'm comfortable with that being, basically what I'm saying is I know I want 10 to 10% of each of those teams because I think people are underestimating the raw talent there and the upside and my pool exposure backs that up. But I don't feel the need to go above and beyond that and say they need to be a particular construction or type. I'm allowing Saverson to determine what the best versions of those stacks are. I wouldn't talk you out of saying that you are opinionated, right? You can see here we actually have, what, two Dodgers four stacks? And do we even have a single Yankees one? We have three Yankee stacks, right? Which actually is pretty close to our pool exposure here. But I'm comfortable with with letting that be where it's at. And part of the reason why is because the more and more control, you got to remember one thing that, that what Saberson is doing behind the scenes is Saberson understands the like positional requirements and salary requirements and how raw projections fit in and how ownership fits in. There's a lot of variables at play here. And you might think I want like, no, I wanted, I don't want 10% of, of Dodger stacks, but 1% of Dodgers four stacks. I want a ton of Dodgers four stacks, but you might be underestimating how that fits into the rest of the slate because of those other different factors. So that's why for me, I'm comfortable kind of giving up that part of the control and letting Saverson make those decisions. But I think you could continue to extend this beyond just setting your stack exposure. I would just do so in a way that is somewhat cautious and use, allow this stack pool exposure to continue to help you, right? Like this tab implies that I would say the Dodgers and the Yankees are about equivalent, right? They're they're about equivalent equivalently uh represented in our stack pool exposure, right? Nine, eight point seven is not that far off from nine point seven, given how much noise is here. So setting these both to 10, I think is fine. But when you come over here, this is telling us a different story. And this is basically saying I think that the Yankees are far more viable as a four stack than the Dodgers are for one reason or another. So maybe even if you wanted additional control, maybe you are doing it with something like this and not here, right? Because of that. And if you wanted more Dodger stacks and you say, no, Jordan, I think that's wrong. I want to heavily stack the Dodgers. Then I think you're in a situation coming back full circle to what we said at the very start of the stream, where you are coming back to this tab and you are making an adjustment that looks a little bit more like this to get a pool of lineups that is more in line with what you are trying to accomplish. Right. Now, if we were to come back, and maybe we even do this. Now, if we came back and did another build, now we'll get more Yankees and Dodger stacks. But what we're saying then is we're saying that we know more than the model, right? Which is fine. There are people that know more than the model. There is value that can be added there, but it's difficult. And I would, I would think, I think that's something that you should be very confident about before you do that. So does that make sense? So to kind of to kind of clean, to, to I guess, close the loop here. Um, I, I don't typically go beyond adjusting stack exposure into the particular stack constructions because I'm fine. If I'm opinionated about a stack, I'm fine Saberson being the one to decide what the best way to get exposure to that stack is. I think it's if you want to get one more level of granular, granular there and check not only what your stack exposures are, but also your four stack or five stack exposures are, I think that's fine but proceed with caution because there are other variables at play outside of just who you want to stack based on the way that other things fit together. Allow your stack pool exposure to still guide you to the right exposures there. And if you aren't getting any stack pool exposures to a four stack or a five stack of a team that you love, 
that is probably an indication that you need to come back here and bump up the team total. So good question. Let me double check the YouTube chat here and make sure I didn't miss anybody else's. And I, I apologize again about that. Um, okay. Uh, Skull says, Jordan, I'm starting to realize big field contests aren't for me. Can you tell us your thoughts on big field versus small field versus medium field? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there is, I think there is kind of a place for all of them in a contest portfolio, right? There are advantages to some there and there are disadvantages to, there are advantages and disadvantages to all kinds of different contests, right? I mean, the nice thing about big field contests is that you are often going to fill a lot of those entries with weaker opponents, and there's higher upside too. There's bigger prize pools. You stand to gain more when you're right. Smaller fields are great. They're, you're going to probably realize your EV, your EV more often because the field is smaller, but it's generally going to be filled with sharper overall players, right? Our, our, our contest selection framework basically is intended to kind of solve this. Also, do you guys see we're getting some, we're getting some pretty nice new uh, thumbnails going up on the YouTube channel, which I'm super excited about. Um, so uh, our contest selection framework here is basically intended to like solve that problem of like, what do we actually do with our contest? And that the idea is let, let one contest solve the problems of the other contests, right? Create a portfolio where you balance smaller fields with larger fields so that your overall set of lineups is poised to succeed as often as possible. Now, I recommend following this, but there are opportunities, and I mentioned it in this video, to play a little bit more in line with your personal strategy, right? There's two, there's really two. One is how much bankroll do you invest on a nightly basis? And I say around, I say typically around two and a half to 5% of your, uh, two and a half, sorry, two, around two and a half to 5% of your bankroll wagered on a slate, right? Well, if you are a little bit more risk tolerant, or actually, I don't even want to put it that way. If you play a more concentrated portfolio of players in your lineups, maybe you should play a little bit more closer to 2.5%. Or if you're learning a new sport or you're not sure about your edge in that sport, maybe you play a little bit less. If it's your best sport and you play a more diversified strategy, maybe you play a little bit more. The other opportunity where you have a chance to kind of express yourself within this framework is how much you put into the larger fields versus the smaller fields, the diversifiers versus the elevators. That number, we re typically recommend people put 50 to 75% of their entry fees per night into what we call diversifier contests, which are like your 20 max, your 150 max, your large field contests. But there's a, actually a pretty big difference between 50% and 75%. So I would say for you, if you find that you like smaller fields more, I would only play 50% of my entry fees into diversifiers and play the other 50 into the smaller field elevators. And that will give you a contest portfolio that still accomplishes the goals of what we establish in this video, but is not, you're, you're a little bit more balanced there. So, but I, I, I that, that's probably the best answer I have to that question. I, I, I think you can make some personal stances on what kind of contests to play um, while still following the, the contest selection framework. And I can't understate Wait, I always mix that up. <laughs> I can't overstate how much I believe in this framework. I mean, this is really, to me, this is this is probably the best video we have created and the best pro like DFS kind of like content product we have created. And I really, really would recommend sticking within this, even if you're shifting it a little bit to make it work a little bit better for you. So 
Uh, Uncrabby Crabby says, so if you're saying Sabersim says the Yankees are the best stack, then we should be overweight on that stack. Uh, kind of. Um, I would say... Um, I don't know if I would like, I mean, kind of, I would say that, um, let me, let me change that a a little bit. I would say that Sabersim is going to do a very good job of giving you a baseline foundation of what the best stack is for the contest that you're playing. Right. So we built this set of lineups and this was built with default projections. We didn't change anything for a 150 max contest between 10 and 50,000 entrants. And I made some adjustments overall to exposures and things like that to diversify a little bit more. Um, but I do think this stack pool exposure will give you a a baseline idea of what the best stacks are, in what order, and about how much better one stack is than another. Right? So I think, I think in terms of should you be overweight on that stack, it starts to get a little bit more complicated because then you start talking about things like, like ownership and risk and risk tolerance, right? Like if we re I'm just going to reset these exposures, right? Like SaberSim here by default with no adjustments is saying that you should be massively overweight on Boston, basically that Boston is far and away the best stack on the slate. You don't have to do that. Right. And if you do, you should take some ownership over doing that. Right. Sabersim is giving you this as kind of like the angle of the best 150 out of this pool of 1500, but only 33% of our lineups in our pool of 1500 have Boston in it. So, what I would do as somebody that wants to play a very diversified portfolio most nights is I would adjust this down and still allow Boston to be my highest exposed stack. And I am still overweight on most Boston bats, but I am not as overweight so if you don't have a sense of maybe how to answer those questions for yourself i think i think saber sim on its own left completely to its own devices is still going to give you a very good option uh, still going to give you a very strong foundation of lineups to work with um but i like to diversify a little bit more uh jimmy said if you adjust team stacks and then adjust some player exposures is that okay or will it change the team stack too much Um, you can do both. I do both. One will work within the bounds of the other, right? Which is actually kind of why I generally like to check on both, right? Like I could come, I mean, there's, there's different ways of doing this, but like I could be over here and say 34% Boston stacks and then go check my player exposures. And in this case, I find that things are pretty close, but sometimes you'll find that like you actually might, you might cap Boston at 34% and find that you still have 50% Raphael Devers. So it's perfectly fine to make adjustments to both. In fact, I would recommend looking at both because both matter. So, okay. I don't see any other questions here. Um, I know there were a couple that came in here in the last couple minutes. So I'll, I'll, I'll stick around here for a few more minutes to let any other questions come in before we head into the, uh, the weekend here. But I guess go Boston, right? <laughs> it seems like uh, unless, I mean, things still have a lot of time to change, but it definitely seems like the Sims are liking Boston quite a bit here tonight. This, I think, is an interesting trend to kind of continue to to see throughout the day. Is, is like, is this settled in? Where's this at? 
Because if the field ends up thinking that Boston is about equivalent to all of these other teams and, and the Sims think that they are far and away the best, the best hitting option, I actually might be inclined to get a little bit more over the field on them. Um, because that suddenly starts to be a leverage opportunity, I think, rather than just, just being a good play that I want my like fair share of exposure to, it might become a team that I actually think there's positive leverage on getting more exposure to Boston. So Jimmy says, thanks. Uh, I end up adjusting too many exposures than Saberson breaks on me. Yeah. I mean, I do think if you, if you see the message that you have edited too much, I do think that is generally an indication that you, you might, you might actually be making too many adjustments or at least to come back and, and tweak your, your team totals here a little bit, right? Like figure out what, what, what teams were you bumping up and what teams were you bumping down and actually make those adjustments on the team total side here by a half run. I think you will find that you can get a lot more, you can get a lot further with your pool that way. So there is also though a little bit of like a death by a thousand cuts that can happen where if you've adjusted like a hundred different exposures between stack exposures and player exposures and eventually, even if you're not making significant deviations off of what you were getting to begin with, there's just so many, you've, you've set so many restrictions that there just are not lineups in the pool that can meet every single one of them. And that is a situation where there's just not a lot that can be done, to be honest. And I would just kind of back off some of those adjustments completely, right? And ask yourself, like, does reducing your exposure to Boston four stacks by one and a half percent actually move the needle for you? And that kind of stuff. So six more sleeps till NFL. Yes. So excited. Very, very excited. I did my first season long draft last weekend. Uh, and I have two coming up this, this week. Um, so looking forward to that jamming in some best ball drafts where I can as well before, before things get going. So anyway, I don't see any other questions coming in, uh, here. Thank you everybody for, for tuning in, watching the stream here today, participating, asking questions. Uh, obviously a big thank you to everybody that watches and listens to this show here, uh, as the podcast form on YouTube or the recorded version on YouTube or the podcast form on Spotify and Apple music and all of those places. Um, thank you as well for being patient with my slow internet at the start of the stream for those that stuck that out. Um, and I will see you all on Tuesday of next week. No stream for Labor Day here. So Tuesday next week, uh, 2 o'clock Eastern. Um, stay tuned for that. That, I think, actually may end up being or is probably pretty likely to be our um, stream with the models team coming on and talking about the NFL Sims, the work we've done for this season, how the Sims work, uh, why simulations are important for football, um, that kind of stuff. So uh, I will announce that at the beginning of next week if I get confirmation there, but I think that's probably safe to, to assume that that's what's going to happen. So anyway, have a good weekend, everybody. I will see you next week. See ya.